mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's mentally yours from Ellen and Yvette. A focus on your mental health you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Welcome back to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly podcast about all things mental health. My name's Ellen and today I'm talking to Dr Andy Cope and Professor Paul McGee. They're the authors of a new book called The Happiness Revolution, which they describe as a manifesto for living your best life. As the name kind of gives away, it's all about ways that we can actually pursue happiness and how we can all be living in a better way. So thank you very much, Andy and Paul, for joining me today. You've written a new book called The Happiness Revolution. So I think the thing we want to get started with is, can you tell us who you are and kind of what qualifies you guys to tell us about the happiness revolution, how we can be happier? Gosh, Mr. McGee, you Andy, want to go I'll first? I'll let you sir? start, mate. You're All the right, doctor. okay, thank you, thank you. Yeah, Doctor of Happiness, Alan, which I know sounds terribly cheesy, but um, I spent the last 20 years researching a subject called positive psychology, which is essentially the science of happiness and the science of well-being. So 12 of those years were spent at Loughborough Uni Business School doing a PhD where my job actually was to seek out happy people, follow them around and work out why they're so happy. And of course, that culminates in a horribly big thesis full of 130,000 big words. But uh, what Paul and I decided to do was jettison the big words. We don't need that. What's, what can we take from the science of happiness and well-being that we can then make palatable so that everybody else can feel a bit better? And Paul? I think, I mean, Andy's got a bit like me. He's been on the planet over half a century. And I think it's not just our academic research and study, but it's it's life itself that I think has mm. qualified us to make these comments. I've, I've cleaned toilets in Manchester. I've managed 30 women on the economy beef burger line. I've worked in a hospice and nursed terminally ill cancer patients. I've lost my job through ill health. Um, and I've been running my own business for 30 years. And in the midst of all of that, a bit like Andy, I have a passion for positive psychology. My degree was a social science degree. 
And um, bizarrely, Chester University decided in their good wisdom to uh, make me a visiting professor. Um, and although, to be fair, I don't visit very often. And when I told someone I'm a professor, they went, Flippin' it, what are you a professor in common sense? And I went, thanks for your feedback, Mum. I was hoping you'd be proud. But, um, yeah, I think between us, Ellen, we've got a few things, both life experiences and some academic experiences and insights that we've pulled together to hopefully make it a really engaging and enjoyable read, but also a very practical one as well. Well, I can say mission accomplished as well, because I think when I've read it, I think it's clear that both of you know what you're talking about, but it's very easy to understand and very readable, um, which I think is key. So I wanted to ask you guys, why now? Why do you think we need this kind of happiness revolution at this point in time? I mean, it depends when people listen to this podcast, doesn't it? We don't know when they're going to listen, but currently right now at time of recording, mm-hmm. I've actually got COVID right now, so not feeling particularly great. So it's interesting. I'm doing a happiness podcast when I'm feeling a bit low. Um, but I think the world has, um, has been hit for six, hasn't it, in the last 15 months? A, a, a global pandemic hasn't helped. But if you go back before then, Ellen, then... Um, mental health was already fairly wobbly before then. The world wasn't in a very particularly brilliant place mental health-wise. I mean, the stats for England, just in England uh, in 2019, there were 75 million prescriptions written for antidepressants just in England um, in a year. That's more than there are people. So you could argue even before a pandemic, there was an epidemic of unhappiness out there. And I think the modern world has conspired to sort of, it, well, it's relentless, it's full-on, it's unforgiving, um, and it's far from perfect. And therefore, I think that what happens is when, when the world's doing its worst, which currently the world is, then I think it becomes even more important that we understand how we can learn to be at our best. What is it about our kind of modern world that makes happiness so difficult? It, it, it's interesting, isn't it, Ellen, in that you, actually people might have different definitions of what happiness actually is. And I think for some people, they think it's about external factors all lining up in a way that we want them to. Uh, and yet the life, more so now than ever, with it being sort of like volatile, uncertain, complex, um, so many challenges, is we can like look at our external world and think, well, that's not going so well, therefore I can't be happy. But I mean, part of what Andy and I are trying to sort of like help equip the reader with is saying, OK, sometimes the external isn't, is out of your control. But how about working on the internal stuff that's a bit more in your control? I think the other challenge we've got, particularly in um, the West or what is sometimes described as the first world, is in order to sort of like fuel the continual, you know, capitalist economy, we are sometimes subtly and sometimes not so subtly being told you need more. You need to look better. You need to have more friends. You need to be more popular, more followers, more likes. You need to have more experiences, more toys. And it's like the, the lure of more. And, and if you don't get that, then you won't be happy. But the thing is, we, we consume stuff and consume it and consume it in order to try and fill this hole within us. And yet we seem to fill the hole. And then before you know it, the hole expands again. And we want to try and fill it with something else. So I think it's like there's this sense of we feel dissatisfied with with life and with ourselves. And we're looking maybe for an external solution to an internal problem. So with all of that kind of stuff that we're up against, I guess my question is, are we just doomed? 
<laughs> or, or is there a solution? Are we just kind of doomed to being unhappy because of our environment and the way that life is at the moment? Ellen, I've got to, I've got to jump in straight away when you say, "Are we doomed?" I don't know. Mm. You haven't got any sort of like Scottish relatives, have you? In your sort of. Uh, you know your your tree of life. Mate, because, she's not um, old enough. She won't understand the dad's art. No, no I know. But Ellen, what you need to do, and the listeners need to do, having asked that question, are we all doomed? <laughs> is is to Google Dad's Army, put it in YouTube, yeah. and go um, Fraser. And um, he, this was a guy, a Scottish guy in Dad's Army. And uh, whenever there was a bit of a problem, he just would go. And I'm sure Andy and I can do this together. One, two, three. We're all what doomed. doomed. Yeah. And I just wondered if you might be related to him, Ellen, some way back in your past. Who knows? Uh, no, Ellen, I would rescue this, right? Because that's a, that's a great question, actually, because are we basically <laughs> condemned to just living a life where the world batters us around the head with its change? Um, and I think, that, if I could just knit back to my research again very briefly, is remember I spent 12 years kind of researching happy people and interviewing them and finding out why they're happy and i promise you right i promise you that they're not feeling amazing by accident Mm. so what these happy amazing people are feeling amazing because they have strategies that they deploy that allow them to feel amazing more often it's almost like rolling the dice in your favor and what my research was about and what essentially the book's dna comes from is what can we learn from happy people that we can put into practice in our own lives that we can increase our chances of feeling better more often as well? So there are learned behaviours. So I, we're not necessarily doomed. And I just think the world is imperfect and the world is throwing a lot at us. Um, and we're back to the point that I said earlier about we might bend, right? And there's mm. a lot of people bending, but we don't have to break. And I think that's what we're trying to do with the happiness revolution is give people strategies that they can deploy so that they... Um, they don't have to break and we're not doomed. Good. Reassure. I, I liked the dad's army segue, even though <laughs> yeah. I don't. You're right. I have no idea what you're talking yeah. about. I know. I mean, to, to talk about us being ancient and to all your Scottish listeners, it was just an attempt at humour. We didn't choose the character's nationality. It was beyond our control. OK, but if you need to speak to my lawyer, you know, information can be left in the show notes. Perfect. Well, we I can Google afterwards and figure out what all of this means. So. <laughs> That's a fun project for me. So kind of my next question is, um, what are we all getting wrong about the way that we're trying to pursue happiness and trying to be happier? And especially, I think in the book, you mentioned finding your why and like kind of looking for a purpose for why you get out of bed in the morning. Are we all doing that wrong and what can we do to fix that i don't know if you know i quite <clears throat> you know i'm not comfortable if i'm honest ellen with saying what well, we're getting wrong we're mm. doing it wrong but i just think <clears throat> we all need some help i mean to be fair what gets me out of bed in the morning is my weak bladder but i think there is this <laughs> sense there is this sense in which we having some kind of purpose and meaning is important and i think again going back to my previous comment about it's like well You'll be happy when you've achieved this and you've got that. You know, as Andy will will sort of like back me up on this, it seems that actually much of our happiness and internal sort of like general sense of well-being doesn't just come from meeting our needs, but actually comes from supporting and helping other people. And, And meaning and purpose can have a profound impact on our overall sort of like sense of life satisfaction. So I've got a friend, Dorothy, who, um, you know, she's in her early 80s and, and sadly she has dementia. 
but she um she knits and she's knitting clothes for for babies in the third world and you she is very happy there's there's maybe you know and there's sometimes people think i've got to get something in order to be happy and perhaps part of what andy and i are saying is maybe it's not just about getting it's about giving and it's also about accepting what we already have now and learn to appreciate what we have now and be thankful for what we have now. Because I think we can always be so busy pursuing the next thing that we don't always appreciate the thing we already have now. I mean, you know, there's probably a billion people on this planet who still don't have access to clean water. And so, so much in life we we sometimes take for granted and almost have a sense of entitlement to. And I think appreciating what we've got and sometimes rather than living this very individualistic life, what can I get? Try and think more about community, more about the planet as a whole. And think, what can I give? How can I make a difference with my limited time I have on this planet, this privilege that I've got? And I think in doing that, what I always think, and I think Andy believes it as well, happiness is the byproduct of a life lived well. It's not the actual goal. It's the byproduct. So how do we stop kind of chasing? Because I think that's a natural instinct for all of us is pursuing, pursuing and like trying to chase the next goal, the next thing that might give us happiness. How do we break out of that pattern? I think, Ellen, we're, we're busy pursuing the wrong things, as, as Paul alluded to, is we're proper busy. We've rushed off our feet. I, I read a quote the other day. In fact, it might even be in the book. I can't remember now. But the <laughs> quote was busy, 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 dead. And I think, oh my gosh, that kind of sums up how I used to feel is rushing around trying to sort of um, trying to cram so many things into my day um, and happiness had gone AWOL. I didn't have time for happiness. I was too busy being busy. And I was also looking in the wrong places. You know, every, I was thinking I could buy happiness off Amazon and clearly you can't. It give you a little spike of happiness when the parcel arrives, but then you've got to seek the next thing. We, we call it masturbation. Uh, masturbation is when you turn things that you think you would like to have into things you absolutely think you must have mm. and obviously every advert on the tv is designed to make you unhappy with what you currently own so you've got to you must debate about the product i've got to have that product then i'll be happy the phone upgrade will make me happy and we're continuing this little spike of happiness that these purchases get whereas what we're looking at here is a long-term happiness being in touch with other human beings on the planet and being in touch with your purpose and having meaning in your life that's once you've got that, then you don't have to chase. You can quit the chase because happiness starts to flow from within. So what what's the kind of first step in getting on that right track and reassessing, you know, your purpose and changing the way that we live? Again, for me, is it, 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 I think it's sometimes it's a tweak. It's not always I've got to just have a radical overhaul mm. here. I think it's about, you know, I I um, talk a lot in my in my work about, take some time out just to get off autopilot and to stop, think and reflect. And going back to Andy's point, we're so busy. It's like we're living life on fast forward and we don't give ourselves time to to press pause. And I think when we press pause, and it's interesting, I mean, you know, I worked in a hospice nursing terminally ill cancer patients, but there was a, a woman in America called Bonnie Ware and she actually wrote a book called The Five Regrets of the Dying. And one of them was, um, you know, I wish I'd allowed myself to be happier. And I think one of the things we want to do in the book and in our work that we do, both Andy and I, is just get people to stop for a moment and to press pause and to reflect and to get off autopilot 
and kind of just ask ourselves, okay, one, am I allowing myself to be happy? I can still have goals. I can still want to pursue things, but maybe not think that I'll be happy when dot, 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 but more, I'll be happy now and I'll still have some goals because that's good and it stretches us and that's part of our purpose that you know and meaning that we get from life in achieving things but i'm not going to postpone my happiness i'm not going to say it's a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow i'm going to allow myself to be happy now and still pursue things and and it's not just about pursuing things for me i think part of you know it's about pursuing things for us and and thinking about how we can you know support and encourage and cheer people on and be there for them in all the kind of challenges that we face so i think it's again not using phrases like what are we going to get what we got wrong and what how do we turn it all around i think some of it is how can we slow down briefly at least how can we press pause but just become more aware and a word i used previously just appreciate all that we still do have in life and acknowledge that i mean despite the global pandemic there's probably never been a time in human history that it's better to be alive. I mean, how we've got the vaccine so quickly, technology has kept us all connected. I mean, this is amazing. I mean, we've only just recently celebrated the 14th year of the iPhone being available. 14 years, 14 years, that's all. Now, can you imagine if this pandemic had happened 20 years ago, how much harder mm. it would have been? So it's still been hard now, but technology has connected people we've been able to support one another communicate our stories and and i don't know i I just think pressing pause would be a great place to start i really do right can i build on that can i build on that there's a there's a beautiful um uh there's a word nixon n-i-k-s-e-n it's a uh from holland a dutch word Uh, and nixon i absolutely love it it hasn't really got a direct english translation but it's all it's almost translates as um deliberately setting out to do nothing Right now, now the thing about Nixon is it takes nothingness to another level. Here's here's some homework for all the listeners, and you'll fail. You, you'll fail, right? So my challenge for everybody listening to this at the end of the podcast, not right now, is to <laughs> yeah. is to so the level of Nixon of nothingness. I'm talking about sitting in a chair for ten minutes, looking out of a window. Right? <laughs> that's and that's so hard to do. So not sitting in a chair watching TV, not sitting in a chair reading your book, sitting in a chair staring out of a window. You try and do that for 10 minutes and everybody will think, oh, I can do that for 10 minutes. That sounds easy. I guarantee after two minutes, you'll be reaching for your phone. You're thinking, I need to check my emails. <laughs> Something might have happened. There might be a picture on Instagram of somebody's tea. Right? And honestly, or you've got to do the washing up or I've got to do, you will get agitated after two minutes. After four minutes, you'll have given up. You'll think it's a waste of time. And it's not a waste of time because what Paul's alluding to here is it's recharging yourself. It's not laziness. It's not sloth. It's not, it's not doing nothing. It's replenishing yourself. And the point about that everybody will fail because you can't sit for 10 minutes looking out of a window because you feel guilty because we've become to we've become human doings instead of human beings. We're so busy being busy. And I just think sometimes we're forgetting who we are. And I, I just like the idea of stopping and challenging yourself to do 10 minutes of nothing every day. I think you've hit on something there kind of related about the way that we talk to ourselves of kind of saying, oh, I feel guilty for doing nothing or I'm failing at these kind of things. Why is it so important that we're just a bit nicer to ourselves, basically? Oh, can I jump in there as well? There's another Absolutely. kind of, well, I'm on the good word uh, front. We've done Nixon. Sonder is another cracker. I absolutely love Sonder. And Sonder is basically the fact that every random passerby in your life has the same screaming insecurities in their head that you have. 
because I, I used to think it was just me. I used to think yeah. it was just me with all the kind of negative self-talk and the chatter going on all the time. But, oh, my gosh, you're an idiot. Or, you can't go on a podcast. Who will listen to you? You can't write a book. You, you're you not very good at writer, writing. And therefore, um, and I just thought it was just me with all the insecurities. And then what I realized, oh, my gosh, everybody's got the same inner chatter. Everybody's beating themselves up mentally. It's just part of the human condition. And I think, I think in terms of uh, sort of biology and uh, psychology, you can't ever turn that voice off because it's called mm. thinking <laughs> right but what you can is you can quieten it and you can turn it from being an inner critic to being a critical friend and you can start the best place to start is being your own bestie right making peace in your head stopping the civil war or at least turning it down so i do think that being nice to yourself and self-care in your head is a really really cool and very important first step and I think those people, I mean, again, building on what Andy's just said, one of the things Andy and I are very clear in, in our goal in writing this book, we don't want this kind of like happy clappy book. We wanted it to be grounded, yes, in science, but also in reality. And therefore, as Andy says, we, you know, one of our pledges, our happiness pledges about be your own bestie. And we acknowledge that we've experienced things that might make us feel, you know, shame, that we acknowledge that we might have failed and have our flaws we acknowledge all of that, but it's learning also to accept it, not to approve of all our mistakes, but accept we are human, we have our flaws, we have our failings, but we're also fantastic. We're also capable of some amazing things as well. And as Andy said, it's not just you who has that internal struggle. So there's this sense of learning to live with that inner critic, but as Andy calls it a critical friend, or I'll often call it maybe listen a bit more to your inner coach who's going to coach you and have maybe learn to have some more kinder conversations because, you know, if I'm going to be a good friend for you, I kind of need to be a good friend for me as well. And that's maybe the starting point. Um, a Jewish rabbi once said, love your neighbor as yourself. And I think we sometimes forget as yourself. Mm -hmm. So if I can become a little bit more, um, you know, as Andy said, you know, caring about myself and, and have some compassion for me, then hopefully out of that, there's going to be an overflow of compassion for other people as well and realise, yeah, we're all on a journey. Um, none of us are magically born with knowing the skills and the insights to get the best out of this journey. But there's two blokes, one from Manchester, one from Derby, Derby County fan, Wigan Athletic fan, up the ticks, who have come across some ideas through our research and through our life experience that we just want to share with people. We're not going to bat you over the head and say you've got to be happy. But we are kind of like saying, again, it, it's amazing the privilege we have to be on, to have even been born. Mm. And it's oh, a privilege mate, mate. to be on this planet right now. And I know people might be listening to different parts of the world. And I don't care. I know Britain gets slagged off a lot. Do you know what? We won the biological lottery when we, we could have been born in Somalia. No offense to anyone from Somalia, but we have a lot of life opportunities here that in some parts of the world we don't. So rather than, focusing on what we don't have how about appreciating and accepting what we do have and making the most of it for ourselves and for others as well right can you pass the baton to me on that one because I, I think that's a great point let me i've just found out something new that i didn't know existed and I, I posted it on youtube yesterday actually the jonah complex and i know paul you'll love it because it's got a, a slightly religious connotation apparently biblical jonah i don't know much about um, the bible but there's a guy in the Bible called Jonah. He got eaten by a whale, I think, at some point. Anyway, um, the point about Jonah, he was a very timid merchant, and he God gave him a big task to do, and he didn't quite fancy it, so he turned it down. Apparently, and and I think and the Jonah complex is is almost this fear that we opt out of our own potential, 
that actually we're almost scared of being ourselves at our best because, well, what will other people think? Who am I to be amazing? It's that lack of confidence. I'm not sure I can be amazing. I can't be my best self. Um, you know, maybe it's too much trouble to, to, to be the best version of you. So it's easy to let somebody else do it. And if you track that through, I was in a school the other week and I was with um, year 11, so what they, 15 years old. And I did a talk to them and I said to the, at the end of the, okay, guys and girls, I said, put your hand up if you're interested in, prime, in being prime minister in the future. No hands went up. Just a few blushes and a few giggles and a few looking at me like, what are you on? Oh, or about an astronaut or who fancies doing some facial reconstruction surgery to change people's lives? And they're going, well, no way, mate. You know, this is Oldham. We, we don't do that kind of stuff. Mm. And I said, well, to be fair, somebody's got to. So why not you? And they're going, okay. And that got the discussion going. And then one of the girls said, right, I, want, I, I, I do fancy being an engineer. I said, okay, but why would you, why would you not try to be the best engineer that you possibly – why would you aim for middle of the pack? Like, why would you aim for mediocrity? Why would you look around at what everybody else is doing and do that? Because it's why you would do that is because of the Jonah complex, because it's safer to do that. And I think in terms of your own well-being and your own happiness, what we do is we look around and we we aim too low. And mm-hmm. and I, I'm really fascinated by the Jonah complex. Been looking at it, and the fact we might be scared of our own potential is a very deep point. Um, and it's something that I uh, I think I can see it in a lot of people. Mm. No, definitely. And also, I think kind of the thing that goes alongside that, not the same thing, is the feeling of what if I try and it doesn't work out exactly as I picture it and then it's really embarrassing and, oh, it's terrible and worrying about all the negative possible outcomes, which is really difficult to overcome. It's, yeah. I mean, it, it's, yeah, and it's, it's part of the human condition because when on the African savannah two or a thousand years ago, you know, if you were rejected or looked foolish and you were put out of the tribe, then it is the end of the game. Mm. But it's recognizing that, um, you know, I think it was Richard Branson who said, I've, I've, I've never failed in my life. And you go, hang on a minute, I think you have. And, and he went on to say, I only feel it's been a failure if I failed to learn anything from it. And there's something which they talk about in schools, which they teach children, but I think adults need to be aware of it as well, as an acronym for FAIL, F-A-I-L, First Attempts in Learning. You know, I, I wrote a book that became a Sunday Times bestseller. 13 publishers rejected it. Now, what if I decided, um, well, I'm a bit embarrassed because what if someone, you know, rejects it? Yeah, but what if someone doesn't reject it? What if they accept it? What if they publish it? And to be honest, I was 14th time lucky. But that's what actually happened. And I think sometimes, I think, Ellen, we need to get over ourselves a bit, to coin mm. a phrase from some bloke. Um, shut up and move on. Just get on with it. I'll keep coming back to it. It's a privilege. It's not about getting perfection. It's about getting in the game of life and making things happen. And when you fall, you get back up again. You know, I mean, I'm not trying to oversimplify it, but I think we need to get over ourselves, recognise that internal chatter that goes, oh, but what if, what if? And can I go, I'm going to sumo on that one. I'm going to shut up and move on. I'm going to try and embrace life and all the opportunities I've got. There are literally billions of people on this planet right now haven't got anything like the opportunities that we have living in this country. They just haven't got it. They do anything to swap up lives with us. So let's stop the bitching, moaning and whinging about stuff and get on with getting on with stuff. 
Also, mate, I think that now, like this exact point in history, gives us a chance to reset. It really does. Mm. We've been talking about the new normal for 15 months, right? And the, tr- the good news and bad news on the new normal is, well, the bad news is nobody truly still knows what the new normal is. So it hasn't yet settled or formed or shaped itself. But the good news is also that nobody knows what the new normal is. It hasn't yet formed or shaped itself. So I think everybody listening to this gives us a chance, and I'm saying this with my hand literally on my heart here, it gives us a chance to shape what our new normal is for us going forward. And it doesn't have to be the same as your old normal. It doesn't have to be the same as anybody else's normal. What is your best version of you going forward? We've got a chance that the pandemic has given us here to, to reshape our new normal. And what if your new normal, therefore, is world-class? What if it's full of energy and passion and positivity uh, and purpose? And I don't think there's really anything stopping you in the external world doing that. I think the, the biggest barriers are between your ears. I think going to barriers, I think one of the things that people listening will come up against is, okay, you know, it's so much environmental, but I live with a mental illness. So, for example, I have OCD and depression, so... I'm more prone to, you know, lacking motivation and all of those kind of things. How much of a role do you think that plays? And do you think we could still be, you know, following your manifesto, even when you do have a mental illness that's chronic and makes things a lot harder? We don't want to in any way, and we've we've mentioned this in the book, Andy and I, Mm. this is not a book for, right, if you have a mental illness, read this. Mm-hmm. There's 7.7 billion people on the planet and we haven't taken into into consideration every life scenario that people face. I think we want to give people a set of tools. We want to also have a real sense of compassion and understanding that people aren't starting the journey in the same place. I mean, if um, if you, you're based in London, you want to get to Paris, it's going to be a shorter journey then if you're up in northern Scotland in Aberdeen, so you're trying to go for the same destination, but you're in different places to start with. And I appreciate some people's personal circumstances and their health situation does mean that they have challenges. And I think, you know, so I want to talk very sensitively and compassionately and say, oh, well, you know, you just need to get over it. No, 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 no. I appreciate that what I said previously would be appropriate for some people, mm. but for others might sound a little bit harsh and people could say, hey, it's easy for you. You know, I've struggled particularly with anxiety as a mental health issue. I've had four father figures by the age of nine and I ran away from home at the age of 10. And you don't, you know, so there's a lot of different things from my background that mean, you know, could people say, well, it's easy for you. Well, to be honest, it's been bloody hard for me at Mm. times. Andy's a Derby County fan. Can you imagine the challenges (laughs) that he faces? So I don't want to sort of say it's a book for everyone. On one, I mean, Bear Grylls said it is, and it it is a book for everyone on one level. Mm. But obviously, if you have certain mental health issues and challenges or an illness or an anxiety disorder, I think it's not I read a book and it's changed my life. I think it can help your life. But we all also need to you know get more support from each other don't we we might need to see a therapist we um, but i think we were just trying to say that generally for a lot of people in life we all have our struggles but we genuinely believe there are some things in this book some work more for others than than you know than one idea might work better for one person than another but we do believe there are some gems in this book not magic pills but there are some gems of insight and wisdom that i think could help can I just take the baton on that one, mate? Because, I mean, a total kudos, Ellen, for you for running a podcast that's aimed at helping people feel amazing, whether they've got a mental illness or not. It's, it should be 
the things in the book will work, I think, for the vast majority of people. Mm. If I just go back to where we started, right, in terms of my research. So I studied psychology at uni, and it's really interesting, but it was about illness. So I mm. learned phobias, disorders, anxiety, depression, paranoia, schizophrenia. Every single lecture I ever attended was named after an illness because, of mm-hmm. course, what psychology was going to do was help people out. Here's some therapy, here's some counselling. If that doesn't work, here's some meds. I get that. I totally understand that. And I think that's very worthy and worthwhile. But it wasn't just my three years at uni, right? If you go back to the to, to day one of psychology, psychology as a, as a subject area is nearly 150 years old. And almost exclusively for 150 years, it's been about maladies. So it's mm. been exactly what we're speaking about here is, is like, let's find out what's wrong with you. And then here's something that hopefully will help. I understand that. I get that. And I doff my cap to that. However, and this podcast is a great example of it, despite the best efforts of 150 years of research and 150 years of therapy and the best counseling and the best medication that, that the best brains can provide, mental ill health has actually got a lot worse not a lot better. Mm. So therefore, for me, there's something missing. And the missing thing is this, or at least in my research, is this. What I'm really saying is for 150 years since traditional psychology has been around, traditional psychologists have never, ever studied people who are already happy, right? Now, interestingly, they've not studied them on the grounds of them not being ill, mm. all right? So in fact, if I, I did a psychology conference, I addressed, I did a keynote at a psychology conference. They didn't like me one little bit. They were like... <laughs> Who are you? Why are you wasting your time studying happiness? What's the point of that? Those people don't need any help. And I'm hoping, Alan, that not just you, but a few listeners, oh, right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so so what I did was I sought out those that have been cold-shouldered for 150 years. Everybody on this podcast can think of a handful, just a single handful of people in their life who've got something extra, whether it's an extra smile on their face or a spring in their step, or they seem to be able to cope with life, whatever it throws at them. They've got, in the workplace, these are your work colleagues that go the extra mile. Um, who the heck are they? So we've cold-shouldered them for 150 years. So what I decided to do was seek out those slightly odd, sort of statistically happier than average people and ask three questions. First of all, who the heck are they? Because psychology couldn't even answer that because we ignored them. Secondly, what are they doing that allows them to thrive? And thirdly, most importantly, which is the, the backbone of the book, is what could we then learn from them that we might be able to apply in our own lives so we might have a better chance of flourishing as well? Now, uh, that is where we're coming from. And I think the book is written for the sort of 70% of the population who are probably haven't got a mental illness, but they're just knackered mm. by life. And everybody's so ground down at the moment. If you have got a mental illness, if you're one of the one in three or one in four who are struggling, I think the book actually might do you some good as well. But it isn't really for that. It's for the bulk of society who just sick and tired of being sick and tired. I think you have in the book a kind of scale which is really helpful and I think for me I'm kind of imagining if you're in a kind of crisis point of mental illness you might be below zero and you know doing everything that the book says and suggests might not cure anything but it might lift you a few points above zero and then maybe if you're doing other treatments and pursuing other kind of remedies for that then again you can take yourself higher up the scale would you am I speaking absolute rubbish or is that that kind of you're totally right I mean and that is I'll get back to Andy on this because that was the scale that he developed but I think Mm. we need what what I think again we sometimes are sold a lie that if you buy this book or you take this pill then everything's sorted yeah there's a lot of good stuff out there that's trying to help people maybe sometimes make those baby steps in the right direction and we believe 
this book could help you make a baby step. Not the magic wand, not the magic pill, but start to take some baby steps from where you were at. And I think we sometimes think, well, my life didn't change overnight, so it's failed. That didn't work. No, but things add up over time. It's like if you if you want to, you know, walk an extra million steps in a year, then that breaks down to 2,740 in a day. It's suddenly like, hang on a minute, I want to aim for a million, but if I do 2,740 a day, I haven't seen that big a deal, I'd do a million. And it's like, yeah. And and I think what we're trying to do is just don't don't dismiss small baby steps in the right mm. direction. I also think that it's, in terms of that external versus the internal world, because in the book we go to, the first third of the book is about how the world has accelerated in terms of the pace of change. So that it, we describe it like a Richter scale. If Imagine on an earthquake, instead of that needle Richter scale, imagine if that didn't measure earthquakes, but it measured change. And our whole point about the first third of the book is that the Richter scale is is moving wildly now, faster and more virulently than it ever has done before. And and therefore, the external world is changing. But personally, what I've twigged quite a few years ago now, thankfully, is that I can't change the world. I can't make the pandemic go away. I can't make the sunshine. I can't. I haven't got the power even to make the buses run on time. All of those things are out of my control. But what positive psychology does give me is a little bit more control over me. And, and the point is this, if I can therefore upgrade to best possible self, right, that won't change the world, but it'll change my world. And if it can change my world just enough to put me in a better place to deal with a pandemic and a rainy day in a late bus, then that's pretty much as good as we get, all right, because that's all I need. Mm-hmm. And just those little wins that put me in a better place to tackle the world as it is, not the world as I want it to be, because if I'm waiting for the perfect world, as Paul alludes to, we'll probably die waiting. The world is imperfect. The world is always going to be imperfect. Our job is to shine to the best of our ability in an imperfect world. And and if I can add to that, if you suddenly realise also, if you do go make steps towards upgrading to your best possible self, Ellen, it just puts you in a better position to help other people as well. You know, if I'm stressed and... Uh, anxious about stuff and I know there are people who have that and it's that's completely out of their control but sometimes I get stressed and anxious and irritable and it's like what is it someone I think Guy Browning calls it IBS irritable bastard syndrome and Mm -hmm. and the thing is then I'm not going to be of any benefit to anyone else either so I don't think Andy and I going it's just about being the best version of you you can be full stop it's like be the best version of you you can be and look at the difference you're able to make in helping support other people as well it's not about we're obsessed in the West about the individual. And I think part of the reason we miss out on happiness is because we're obsessed with self. Too much selfie isn't healthy, as my mate um, Dave says. And so but if we're in a better place, just think how we can help other people as well. I think my final question is, what's the kind of one takeaway that you got from writing this book and putting it all together? What's the one thing that kind of changed you and changed your outlook? Um, oh, that's a good question. Do you want to go first, Paul, while I, fl- I think, flounder around yeah, I for think an it answer? Was, it was going back to what I said before, uh, five regrets of the dying. I wish I'd allowed mm. myself to be happier. I have been, and I talk about it in the book, you know, this sense of I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And and I talk about in the book how I was looking for fame and recognition when actually I wasn't. I was looking for love and acceptance. Mm. And now Andy and I have done a lot of stuff that some people might, you know, say, well, that's quite successful. And maybe it is, but... I think in myself, I've kind of like, well, I'm not really achieved what I could have done. You know, let's go on to the next thing. And it's like, come on, I know you're from Manchester, but don't be so bloody miserable. 
and it'll actually allow yourself to be a little bit happier. And I'm just recognizing that it's not the big goals. It's not all the big things on your bucket list. It, it's those, I'm staring at a plant in my office at the moment and I saw a, a green bottle. You wouldn't call it a blue bottle. You'd call it a green bottle just land on one of the leaves and it just looks beautiful and amazing. And I know this is a terrible confession, but when Andy was chatting, I took a quick photo. I'm going to send it to you, Andy, <laughs> via WhatsApp. And that was just a beautiful moment. Appreciate the little things, the the blue pot, the green bottles on your plant, the, you know, just the fact there's a bit of sunshine in the northwest of England occasionally. And I know you're not all in the northwest of England, probably in the south, but just appreciate the little stuff and allow yourself to be happier. Mate, mate. I mean, you're going to be sending me a picture of a fly, right? <laughs> that, is that supposed ma- that's supposed to make me happy. Um, Ellen, can I, I just pick something out? Uh, while Paul was talking, um, it gave me a chance to turn to the, we call it the um, Everyday Olympics, seeing as the Olympics are on the way. Uh, I like our Everyday Olympics. And it's not like the normal Olympics, which is the best of the best. It's every day. So it's 10 events that take, you have to take part in every day. And none of the events require any skill or talent. So I've just turned to our 10 events, right? And all your listeners, these are your 10 events. You take part in them every day. Everybody does them. And they require no skill or talent. Event number one, working hard. Number two, smiling, having good manners, being passionate about life expressing gratitude, encouraging others, having a positive attitude, being super kind, showing up on time and looking after your physical health. And and our question on those is is those everyday Olympics, those everyday 10 events, would you be going for gold? Because what, what the thing I've learned, which is back to your question, thing I've learned is that I've got better at the basics. Mm. And I would say they're the absolute basics. And I've got to show up with all 10 of those on a daily basis. Goodbye from mentally yours. So go away, enjoy your day, get on with all your chores from mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. If you've been affected by any of the issues we've discussed today, you can give the Samaritans and Ring on 116123. If you like Mentally Yours, you can also find us on Twitter. We're at MentallyYRS. We also have a lovely Facebook group, which is just called Mentally Yours. And if you really liked us, you could do us a massive favour and give us a rating and review. It's much appreciated. Uh, Helps us, you know, continue doing what we're doing. So please do rate and review and check back in next week for more Mentally Yours. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.